get outside every day <laughs> in, in all weather figure it out you're gonna you're gonna have moments where you're cold and you're wet and you're uncomfortable and hopefully you can learn from that and realize that actually it's worth it welcome educators and champions of physical and health education today we're stepping into the great outdoors as we explore the wonders of outdoor play join us in today's episode as we uncover the benefits of outdoor play the positive impacts it has on physical and mental development and practical ideas to incorporate more outdoor playtime into your teaching routine. In today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Louise Delanoy. Her interest in population health and knowledge translation led her to join the Healthy Active Living and Obesity Research Team, where she first became involved with Outdoor Play Canada. And Dr. Megan James, a postdoctoral fellow with the Healthy Active Living and Obesity Research Group, working under the supervision of Dr. Mark Tremblay. Get ready to be inspired to let the world outside become the classroom. Let the outdoor play adventure begin. As we begin this episode, we acknowledge with deep respect that we're on the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe Nation. We recognize their enduring connection to this land and strive for a future of mutual understanding, appreciation, and collaboration. Now, how did you become interested and involved in outdoor play? Outdoor play has always been part of my life and something that I've always just engaged in. And I've always been an active person, but play has always been really critical to that piece, whether or not I recognized it. But during my PhD, I was looking at something almost entirely different. So I was looking at in a clinical exercise physiology lab, I was looking at how to promote exercise amongst individuals, adults that were sedentary, typically had abdominal obesity. And, you know, we were conducting all sorts of exercise programs and looking at the benefits of those programs on adult health and well-being. But something that always came back to me and that was becoming apparent was that when we had adults come into our programs and they, you know, they would exercise five days a week for months on end. They're great at adhering to that. And that was wonderful. But as soon as the program ended, inevitably those individuals stopped exercising. And something that I began to think about was adults are actually going to maintain, if humans are actually going to, these people that, you know, we need to know that the benefits of exercise, if they're going to continue this, it needs to be something that's enjoyable. And I started to think more and more about how do we make physical activity, how do we make exercise more enjoyable? And then when I joined Dr. Mark Tremblay's research group after my PhD, and he said, you know, I have a number of different projects, see what sticks. And I was introduced to Outdoor Play Canada. That suddenly became apparent to me. That's what was missing in these clinical trials where we're putting people on the treadmill and getting them to exercise to music. They were participating because it was fun, because it was playful. And in order to continue encouraging a healthy lifestyle, it needs to be fun. It needs to be playful. And suddenly, you know, that really clicked and I, and away we went. Like Louise, my outdoor play journey also started when I was a kid. Um, I was quite fortunate to have a family who really promoted outdoor play. We went camping a lot. That was really our form of vacations. Um, it was camping in the forest. But I'm sure like many other children, you kind of take for granted the benefits of play outdoors. You don't really notice it when you're a child. You're just playing and you're having fun. As I got older, and especially when I was going through university and in graduate school, 
that time spent outdoors um, became fewer and fewer. And it wasn't until about five years ago when I really was intentional about reconnecting with nature. And that's, I think, when I really got to appreciate the benefits. I really was able to see how much being outdoors um, impacted me personally, my mental health, my physical health. So this is really where I got excited about doing research in this area. And then at the same time, I was conducting my PhD and my work was really focused on early childhood development and promoting physical activity in children and youth so they can be active and play um, for the entirety of their lives. And what we know about physical activity promotion is that it's really complex And there are a lot of moving parts um, to consider when promoting physical activity. But one thing that is consistently shown in the literature is that being outside increases physical activity and that people move more when they're outside. So this has really inspired my research journey to where I am today and understanding not only how do we promote physical activity, but how can we use the outdoors as this mechanism to have people engaging in movement longer and enjoying it um, throughout their lives. Brilliant. And both of you have mentioned kind of physical activity and, you know, being active outdoors. But what is outdoor play? Outdoor play is maybe a contested term. It has, it's an ongoing, there's an ongoing debate on what it actually means. Um, with Dr. Mark Tremblay and Dr. Young Lee from Queen's University, we launched and rounded up a project called the Play Learning and Teaching Outdoors Network PlatoNet, um, an ontology, terminology, taxonomy project. All that to say is we spent four years trying and working with an international group of outdoor play and learning experts on defining terms related to outdoor play, learning, and teaching. So we actually have international consensus definitions surrounding these terms that, um, you know, while we've landed on certain terms, uh, we know that they're forever evolving and there's ongoing debate on what these actually mean. But For the purposes of today, we actually have some definitions we can share. So we as a as a collective of I think there was over 400 stakeholders that provided input on these definitions defined play as voluntary engagement and activity that is fun and or rewarding and usually driven by intrinsic motivation where outdoor play is a form of that kind of play that I just defined that takes place outdoors. And I would like to complicate things a little bit more. What is unstructured play and risky play and outdoor learning? So within the context of our listeners and in the educational realm, where does outdoor play kind of fit within all of these other outdoor learning environments, unstructured play, risky play? Uh, not to keep going back to that same uh, project, but you know, <laughs> you can actually see all of these definitions. They're on our website under the PlatoNet tab. And so outdoor play we see as sort of the umbrella term where all of these other types of and forms of outdoor play fall within that. You know, so unstructured or free play is again typically self-directed. And then risky play is an interesting one. So it's a form of play that we define as thrilling and exciting, which involves uncertainty, unpredictability, and varying degrees of risk-taking. And it's important when we talk about risky play that we understand that that's different and distinct from hazard. So hazard and risk are two distinct terms that often get intertwined and people often think of them as, as similar, but it's important and we've, we've defined this both in that project and within other projects where we understand risk and risky play as something where 
an individual can recognize and learn to manage the situation and gives them an opportunity to, to determine their own limits. So an example of risky play could be a child splashing around in shallow water. The ground may be slippery, um, they may be learning to swim, but they're within their own limits of, of comfort. They may be challenging themselves, they may be learning how to balance a little bit more, um, they may be learning to, to float on their backs, but they, they're within the, the confines of what they feel safe, while at the same time being able to push their limits. Whereas a hazard is typically something uh, that is a potential source of harm and danger and beyond the limits of, an, of a child or an individual able to, being able to manage that. So a fast moving current in a river is a clear hazard and not and is and is distinct from that shallow water that maybe a child is, is more comfortable in playing in. Defining terms is important, but also not to be overwhelmed with all of the definitions because play really is in its simplest form, moving and enjoying yourself outside. But I did want to acknowledge that, you know, we're talking about risky play, outdoor play, unstructured play, and and just how these things do look different um, to different people, to different children, and in different environments. As much as there's effort to define these and what it looks like, as a teacher, as an educator, it's, it's really important to recognize that some of these things may hold true in your circumstances and with the children you're working with or your students, but also to know that this can be individualized. So to give an example, um, some of the work that I've done looking at risky play in children with disabilities, we were looking, we were actually speaking with parents and with children themselves about aspects of play. And, and of course, aspects of risky play came up. And something that really stood out to me is when parents were talking about the risk that their child experienced at an accessible playground of just being up on the actual play structure. So this specific playground allowed them to wheel their wheelchair up onto a level that was higher and they were above other children. And they were highlighting that this was something they've never done before. And this was something that allowed them to push their boundaries. So for other children, this may not present any risk because this is something they do often um, and they're exposed to, but for other children, um, this could present risk and be a form of play that's really important. So taking kind of your example there, Megan, within an educational context, does the educator themselves have to be really careful in how they position outdoor play and what is risky from their own personal experiences or bias to then what the student is coming into the classroom with? given their experiences, background. Right. Yeah. And, it, and it's a really good point. And I think with anything we do and any any type of education we're doing, we have to think about our own biases and where we're coming from. You know, especially when we're thinking about kids with disabilities, we often look at things from an ableist point of view, having never experienced disability and seeing things from our own perspective. So yes, I think it's good to acknowledge those um, biases, but at the same time, I don't think that you necessarily need to be an expert, but you need to be able to listen and to be able to talk with the students in your group. So I'm a firm believer that when it comes to play and, and interacting with students, it's chatting with them, seeing what their boundaries are and supporting them and letting them really take the lead. So I think we we sometimes like to jump in as adults to structure things and guide things, but children know themselves and they know their boundaries and what Louise was just speaking about is having them have the opportunity to push their own boundaries and something that they feel comfortable in and 
they'll be able to make those decisions themselves. Just a, a concept that I'm personally interested in, in my own teaching and, and, and like a pedagogical approach of challenge by choice. So if I'm kind of picking up what you're putting down, offering students that time to challenge themselves in a supportive way. So be it that they see their peer is able to climb on the monkey bars and they experiment and they're allowed that space and that time to to try to not necessarily fail, hopefully succeed, but that challenge by choice that they're making that choice rather than the educator themselves saying, okay, we're going to line up and all climb the monkey bars. Absolutely. I like that term and it, and it made me think of um, something we speak about a lot in our work is around this idea of quality participation in physical activity and something we think about in terms of what not just how much you're doing or how much you're playing or engaging in physical activity, but what is that quality experience? And there's been work around what um, we call them the building blocks of what supports that quality experience. And one of those actually is um, autonomy and choice. And that's something that is really important. So we want to support risky play and outdoor play and unstructured play, but again, allowing the child to really drive that. And that often comes to choice so that children can choose things that are at their level that they feel comfortable enough. And, you know, we can push it a little bit to, to encourage risky play, but at the end of the day, the children are kind of driving those choices. And if we can make experiences outdoors enjoyable for kids, we're, they're more likely to stick with it. And I, I would add to that, that it, in my mind, it's, it frees the, the educator from having to make those decisions and those choices for children, right? And less of the onus on them. Some children, like we've already said, will be more comfortable jumping on the monkey bars, no problem. My best friend growing up, she was a total risk taker and, you know, hang up on monkey bars upside down. And I had no, I had no interest in doing that whatsoever. And so taking cues from children and letting them discover, you know, that should be in, in my mind, that should alleviate the tension and the stress from the educator, recognizing that every child has their different different limits. And if you help and scaffold and support children within those limits, then they'll be able to, to reach those and, and hopefully maybe overcome them, but at their own time, right? It's always at their own pace. Yeah, I love that you bring in the scaffolding of play, Louise. It was just, I was just thinking that as you were talking and and really kind of taking this you know, this, this notion that you as a teacher are the leader and you're to lead and show how to do things. But often we see great benefits of actually taking a step back and providing the foundation for them to learn and supporting that along the way is important for outdoor and risky play as well. So you both speak about the educator there and the, the huge part they play in providing a successful and the autonomy to the student in that environment. But when I think about the educators, you know, what are some of the challenges or misconceptions that educators may face when promoting outdoor play or looking to incorporate outdoor play into their, their pedagogical approaches? And then how can they overcome them? I think that we've we've talked about the first one, that the difference between risk and hazard, that those two things are are distinct, is an important piece to understand and, and recognize. The other piece that we see a lot is valuing outdoor play. It can be part of recess, of course, but it is also valuable learning time that children are learning when they're playing. That in nature is often that's the purpose of play is to learn, 
to appreciate that so that not just from an educator perspective, from an from a parent perspective. So I know that our colleague Megan Zenny, for example, from at West, she's based in, in Vancouver. She talks a lot about documenting the all of the learning that is happening while children are playing instead of trying to force play into an existing curriculum. From her experience, she's an educator and has been teaching outdoors for I think approximately 20 years. And she never ceases to be amazed by how much learning happens and how much more learning happens when it is child-led. Louise has really spoken about the most important myth to talk about is, you know, learning does happen outside. Recess is not just a break from the indoor classroom. It's an extension of the classroom. And acknowledging that this kind of shift in mindset does come um, with systematic change that needs to happen. So, you know, there's hopefully not all the pressure landing on the teacher to make all of these changes because we recognize that that can be hard to do in certain systems. But really understanding that this does, learning outdoors happens and there's a lot of benefits to being outside that actually enhances learning. So there's research to show, for example, attention is approved outside. So when we think about being indoors in a classroom and potentially having challenges with students, you know, focusing on the task and completing it. And, you know, there's lots of pressure to, to be on task. We actually see outdoors attention is improved. So, you know, there's lots of things that we can think about in terms of the benefits of being outside, learning outside and playing outside that can really align with the overall goals of your classroom. That makes me think, Megan, you know, also the benefit for the educator themselves too. You know, they're outside as well. So as they move themselves from the four walls of the school, they have that break and maybe allow themselves to play as well. And then as they come back into their classroom, it would be interesting to, you know, a research product on the, you know, improved productivity or the improved mood of the educator themselves too. I was working on a grant application where a colleague of mine flagged that I mentioned, oh, that um, bringing learning outdoors could really benefit educators. And I cite, I had one little reference and they flagged it and they said, oh, is there any, I see that this evidence is based in Scotland. Is there any Canadian evidence? And I started, you know, looking frantically for evidence on the benefits of outdoor learning and play for the educator and couldn't find anything. And I panicked. And, And then I took a step back and I was like, oh, wait, that means that this is why we need to do this work, because we know anecdotally that outdoor play and learning is not just beneficial for children, but for the educators. And, you know, again, anecdotally, when you look at outdoor learning and play programs, the practitioners, the educators, they typically have been there for much longer than with more conventional programs, but it's not being documented. It's not being explored. So definitely that's something that that we're looking into uh, examining and measuring. Yeah. And those benefits, like they really become cyclical, right? Like if we, if we're encouraging play across all, so the students, the educators, and everyone's feeling those benefits. Well, that's a cyclical process. You have a teacher who is in a better mood, is also more attentive than that is experienced by the children and the students. And also, you know, really encouraging that. I think Josh, you mentioned it around the educators actually doing some playing as well, because children are also looking to the educator as, you know, that they're, they're the leader in the classroom. And if we as adults are playing and showing children and modeling that for them, that's also something to think about and, and to be engaging in, not just for our own benefits, but also demonstrating and being that model of 
outdoor play for everyone and for all ages. And staying with the theme of the educator, maybe all of our listeners could think of a teacher champion within their school district or province that is very vocal on social media and is always taking students outdoors and doing these great uh, programs and projects and playing. But I want to bring that back a step and think more about the teachers and the educators that maybe feel they don't have the experience or they don't have the knowledge. What message would you share with those educators? Luckily, there are a huge number of resources for educators who want to bring learning and teaching and learning outdoors. Um, I was just talking to a colleague of mine from the Blue Mountain Wild School um, up in Collingwood, and he mentioned, you know, when the COVID pandemic hit and educators were bringing their classrooms outside, a lot of them said, you know, this is too hard. I can't do this and, and essentially gave up because we haven't designed our spaces outside for learning. Of course, if you just try to bring it out without doing a little bit of due diligence, it's, you're not going to succeed or it'll be more challenging to succeed. But fortunately, there are a ton of resources. So Megan Zenny, who we mentioned, just launched a new tool to support uh, elementary school teachers in bringing their learning and their teaching outside. And so you can check that out. I think it's teacher.outsideplay.org. We don't work for her. It's just more for us. This is just, it's a brilliant tool and, and we want other people to be using it. And so that's an excellent tool. The Outdoor Learning Store, which is this, an online store that's based out of, again, West Coast of Canada. They have a number of free webinars every month on outdoor learning and teaching. As we find opportunities in professional development and support tools, we always promote them through outdoorplaycanada.ca as well. I think a message that I would leave with educators is that you know, you don't need to do it all at once. And you see these things, you know, maybe on social media or what have you, as you see these success stories and these teachers who are brilliant at what they do, and they have their whole classroom outside doing all subjects. And that's fantastic. But I'm sure if we were to talk to those educators, they also had many years of trial and error and trying things out and seeing what worked and what didn't work and having tough conversations um, with the people around them and how to have a supportive outdoor learning environment. So I guess I would say just take it in small steps. So you don't need to go one day having a traditional classroom, the next day you're doing everything outside, but just try small and see what works and what doesn't work. And really don't be afraid of that quote unquote failure. You, you know, you might plan an amazing session in your head and you go outside and you're like, actually, no, this was chaos. Look at what came from it, what learnings come from it, and continue to apply those. Change isn't going to happen all at once, but I think we can start with small steps. That makes me think of my uh, first day of my Bachelor of Education with my uh, professor saying, if you think you're going to make a lesson plan and it to go perfectly, uh, this is not that you're not in the right place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, definitely teachers and educators are used to adapting. And I think the initial question was kind of a two-parter around that confidence piece, but then also this misconception of, I don't have any outdoor space. Again, what would your message be to those educators that feel they don't have the right outdoor space to go and engage in outdoor play of their students? Yeah, that, I mean, obviously it's more challenging when you don't have an entire forest to bring all the play and learning outside. We have seen a number of collaborations come about as a result of a lack of immediate outdoor space. So working with 
local church or local communities. Often there are bigger green spaces nearby that if you reach out to those organizations and see if there's any interest in collaborating and being able to share some space, often we've seen very positive outputs from that. So that's one one opportunity. But we've also seen a lot of benefit from bring in some very simple pieces. So loose parts, logs, bring in buckets, creating a, I mean, this is for the younger years, but a mud kitchen, bring in just some basic natural pieces into an otherwise concrete block can, can go a long way. Yeah, we, uh, Louise and I actually were just visiting some early learning centers and we saw some really great examples of this in otherwise, you know, centers that are right in the middle of you know downtown and you know, you can see how they don't have a ton of opportunity to go over to a forest, but by bringing in these natural elements and it, it doesn't have to be a fully, you know, what the word would, you know, the playgrounds that are kind of meant to be more like built out of natural elements and they can get really fancy and, you know, you don't need to take it that far. You you can just bring in things like logs and encourage that play and, and build that in to your lessons. So as Louise mentioned, there's there's many ways to kind of get creative with finding outdoor space. Yeah, I think that draws on, you know, any other subject area in the school. You know, your science lab might not be blessed with endless amounts of equipment, but you make experiments do with what's available to you and you have to get creative and reuse or go back and forth, share with different classes. So I think, again, it's no different than many other subjects. And it's about being resourceful and creative. And again, being collaborative with the community, with administration and other school teachers. This is great in terms of brainstorming for, for our listeners on, on what is possible. When... You know, while we talk about this, I'm cognizant of the fact that teachers are exhausted. Pandemic really did a number on, on the patience and, and the creativity and the effort of teachers. So, you know, recognizing that, you know, this adding something, saying now you take all of your learning outside, you change your entire curriculum. Obviously, that's maybe overwhelming and you need to be aware of that. But what we've seen when I have spoken to teachers, to principals of schools and programs that have brought learning outside, one of the major benefits that they've seen is that the number of students that are being sent to the principal's office for poor behavior has dropped down to almost zero. That there's no lineup outside of a principal's office after recess, during class time. There's something about the outdoors that just has this calming effect. And so while it seems like this daunting task, and I can appreciate that for any educator, it may actually be a lot easier in the not so long term. How does outdoor play benefit students, both physically from like a physical literacy and a developmental perspective, but then also that, you know, the other skills, the decision making, leadership, teamwork, um, the social skills? Yeah, I mean, we there's so much evidence now on the benefits of outdoor play and learning for children's emotional, social, psychological, environmental, physical well-being, health and well-being. We know that it, outdoor play and learning can help improve in a child's ability for self-regulation, for stress management, for building that connection to nature, which we know is so important to combat things like eco-anxiety, to also develop our next generation of environmental stewards. We know that it's important for developing movement skills, gross motor skills, physical literacy. The list really keeps going on and on, and 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 yet there's there's more to be discovered. There was a childcare program. It, a lot of our evidence comes from childcare, just 
by nature of the work that we do. Um, but there's a childcare program in Norway that showed introducing natural elements into a program led to improvement in the immune functioning of children after only one month. And so, you know, it's not just the the physical literacy, it's not just the emotional pieces, it's the the biological effects of, of spending time outdoors for children. I was going to say, like, we could have an entire episode on the benefits of outdoor play. The, the benefits, they go on and on, but I think the, the really important ones when we think about being at school and, and thinking about the social and emotional benefits that come from being outdoors and how those in turn can really improve learning and improve quality of life. So yeah, we could go on and on, but maybe we could drop some uh, summaries of the benefits because there's lots of good high level papers that give a nice summary of the benefits and we can put those uh, in the notes as well. Absolutely. All the uh, resources and everything will be linked uh, to the episode. So yeah, no, hugely beneficial for, for the listener again. For educators, the inclusion of all students in the classroom is obviously of high importance. What are some things that you've seen to make outdoor play accessible for all students? I, I know I'm thinking of some examples that maybe Louise, you can speak to from our experiences here in Ottawa, but I guess the first thing that I would like to kind of draw attention to is just around, you know, potential limits that we place on kids that may or may not be existing. It, it makes sense when you look at the outdoor space and what we typically think of as accessible or not accessible. This is at odds with natural environments. We are used to, you know, having ramps and smooth surfaces and and those do promote accessibility. And oftentimes in natural environments, that's not possible. But we, we spoke about it earlier in the podcast around being creative and being open to different ways of doing things. And this really plays an important role with accessibility inclusion outdoors. So thinking about ways that the outdoors can be accessible and how we can support that for children. You know, the children are, their, are experts of their own abilities. So speaking with children, and we've spoken with, uh, you know, parents or youth themselves who use a wheelchair, for example, and bringing up, yeah, actually, like we, there's things that we have to do a little bit differently when we go into the forest, but it's absolutely possible. So really kind of being aware of potential barriers that we're seeing um, that we may actually be imposing on our students and really talking to them and, and, and figuring out what works and what doesn't work, because it's something that we really have to consider. And I think we're always quite surprised when we bring children outdoors, regardless of their ability, if they have a physical limitation or, um, you know, they're experiencing sight loss, the amount of things that children can do if given the opportunity is really amazing. So I think it's really important to consider that with accessibility and that it may not require fully accessible surfaces or clear, stay clear of all you know, potential tripping hazards and things like that, that might not be needed. Risky play looks different for everyone. And every child should be afforded the opportunity to explore outside and learn how to navigate in the natural environments. Um, uh, a specific example was we were speaking with colleagues from the CNIB, the Canadian National Institutes for the Blind, and we wanted, with their colleagues at Andrew Fleck Children's Services, wanted to support children with vision impairment in being able to play and learn in natural spaces in the forest. And initially the reaction was, okay, do we start cutting down branches? Do we start clear cutting, you know, the, the first five feet of, a, of, of forest to make sure that children don't get hit by branches? And uh, the CNI, you know, our colleagues at the CNAB said, no, that's 
you know, that's just not a reality of everywhere else. What we need to do is work with the spaces that exist. And often the fears and the concerns around outdoor natural spaces, those fears are typically educator and parent-led and not child-led. And so, you know, providing goggles to children who may have vision impairments, providing wind chimes to orient a child to, you know, the home base, adding to and supporting the child within a space is, is key. We had another child who came to the Ottawa Forest Nature School program, again, led by Andrew Fleck, who had cerebral palsy and so would fall a lot and, you know, had not as uh, strong abilities to balance themselves. And again, the fears around supporting that child in nature came, it was all educator and parent driven, all of those fears. And the child was actually quite comfortable in falling and picking themselves back up and continuing on. The one thing to really think about when we think about outdoor play, and first off, I think it's completely reasonable to be thinking about the hazards. And we, we understand that when you're thinking about a classroom and you have children diverse abilities and you know every child regardless of a diagnosis of disability has their own limits and and something to take into consideration but without that opportunity to explore and to learn those limits children can't sort out you know what what can they do and what can't they do and there will come a time in their life where they are in a natural space and having to navigate it and if they can have those opportunities early on and learn how to navigate those environments early on in the long run it's better for safety it's better for the child and so really kind of thinking about that long-term effect of providing opportunities to all children outdoors and that it really it is possible and sometimes we just think outside the box a theme throughout this podcast that um, if we do things in small steps um, we try them we work with the students we provide autonomy and that sense of challenge by choice then good things will happen I really want to get your ideas or your sense of what the future looks like for outdoor play. So a lot of the evidence that we've been talking about within this podcast derived from the position statement on active outdoor play that was published back in 2015 and led by Dr. Mark Tremblay, who we both work with. And in just a short year and a half or so, uh, it'll it'll be 10 years since that position statement was published, which is kind of remarkable. And so something that we're really looking forward to is developing an update to that, uh, recognizing that a lot of work has happened in Canada and internationally over the last 10 years in relation to outdoor play, in relation to risky play, in relation to the importance of outdoor play for nature connection, for environmental stewardship, for climate change. The notion of looking at outdoor play as not something that's important for just humans, but for, for the world as, as a whole. So looking at the importance of one health interaction between nature and animals, humans, we're not, we're not other than, we are part of this world. So lots on the horizon there. Yeah, I mean, Louise summed it up quite nicely and, and really exciting to be working on that 10-year update because like Louise said, so much has changed. Even we saw just with the pandemic how we were all forced outside. That was our only way to play and to engage in a lot of things. And we all really got to experience outdoor play firsthand. Um, so things are really changing and the movement is happening quickly. And I think a direction we just finished speaking about it is really looking at 
outdoor play, the benefits of outdoor play, but also the unique barriers, challenges, facilitators to outdoor play for different groups in different parts of the world. We're really kind of taking this global approach in the updated position statement to see what this looks like in all parts of the world and for all, all people. A huge thank you from PHE Canada to Louise and Megan for being with us today. It's been absolutely amazing. So thank you very, very, very much. We hope you're feeling inspired to bring the magic of nature into the lives of the children you influence. Remember, the outdoors isn't just a playground. It's a classroom, a sanctuary, a source of boundless creativity. Thank you to Dr. Delanoy and Dr. James for joining me today in our conversation about outdoor play and sharing in the inspiration of taking our students outside. Got questions, feedback, or a topic you'd like us to cover? Reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at PhD Canada. Thank you for joining us and remember, get outside.